Well, if you have your Bibles, you're in uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 3. And uh, we're going to be starting in verse number 8, going through verse number 12 tonight. Well, Brother Mike, you skipped some verses. Well, not exactly. The subject matter that's in the, as you begin chapter 3, we've dealt with just uh, recently here, and that's dealing with submission and uh, all of that. And so we haven't really skipped over it. Uh, but I find it interesting that uh, Peter uh, talks about this, about submission uh, in uh, verses 1 through uh, 7. Uh, and then he comes to this passage. Now, understand, it's not a coincidence. It's not like happen chance. It's always designed that way. Don't you find it interesting when he talks about the relationship of a husband and a wife and talks about submission and we understand that the Bible is quite clear on what remit, uh, submission means and, and all of that. And then he goes in to the subject at hand, which we're going to be preaching tonight is, who do you love? Who do you love? Now, we could have a whole lot of answers to that, could we not? Men, I'm going to help you here, okay? Hint, hint. I'm helping you guys. You would say, my wife. And the men say, Amen. some of them, okay. Listen, guys, <laughs> I can only do so much for you, okay? And the women, if you would say, uh, what would, uh, okay, the women are going to get you back on this one. They say, who do you love? You will say, well, my husband. And all the women say, say this, this thing's going south real quick. <laughs> Let's move to verse number eight, okay? <laughs> but the question is, who do you love? Well, we can say a whole lot of things, and, and all that would be well and good. And, and of course, uh, we would say, well, I love Jesus. So, and that's a good answer. That's a good answer. But here in the passage that we're going to look at tonight, Peter, remember, he's writing this letter. He's writing this letter as an encouragement. He's writing to a group of people that have had some hard days, hard times. And he's writing encouragement to them. And so he answers that question, who do you love? Three things that we're going to see tonight very quickly. First of all, he says, you should love God's people. Amen. You should love God's people. You'll find that in verse number 8. Then the second thing, and, the, and it's the second one that really kind of messes us up. In verse number 9, he says, and we should love our enemies. Now, that's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, we're in church, so let's be honest. We really struggle with that one. I struggle with that one. But Peter here says, not only you should love God's people, but you should love your enemies. And then in verses 10 through 12, we see, he says, you should love life. You should love life. So, Bible is open. We're in verse number 8. He says, finally, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, and love as brethren, be pitiful, and be uh, courteous. So, the first thing that he says is that we should be loving God's people. Now, in verse number 9, he says, and not rendering evil for evil 
or railing for railing, but uh, contrarize blessing, knowing that ye are there unto, uh, you are, if I can talk here tonight, that ye are there unto called that ye should inherit a blessing. So in verse number nine, he's saying that we should love our enemies. He says, because you will be rewarded for loving your enemies. Then it picks up in verse number 10. We're going to see that we should be loving life. He says, for he uh, that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. In verse number 11, and let him eschew evil and do good and let him seek peace and ensure it. So by God's grace tonight, very quickly, we're going to look at three things. When we ask the question, who do you love? Peter says, we should love God's people. We should love our enemies and we should love life. So the first thing that we see here in verse number 8, notice the word finally. That word means summing it up. This is how you need to sum all of this up. Now what is he summing up? He's summing up the question that's being asked. Who do you love? Who am I supposed to love? So he sums it up uh, and he says uh, that we are to love God's people. Now notice he says, uh, he lays it out. How do we do that? How do we show our love? Now we're pretty good about saying it. What Peter's going to show us is that we need to be doing it. Love should be an action word, right? And so he says that, uh, note the first thing is that we should be unified in our minds. We should have unity within the body of Christ. And what does that mean? Well, it means not necessarily uh, that we don't have disagreements. I don't care where, what family you come from. Uh, sooner or later, you're going to have some disagreements. Are you not? I mean, am I just maybe my family is the only one that has the disagreements. All of us can say, yeah, there's been times when we had disagreements. He's not necessarily saying that because the body of Christ is also shows diversity. And we've already talked about this. We, we, we just with our family here, there's diversity. You know, we come from different parts uh, of the nation. We've uh, got all kinds of things that we don't have anything in common. But he says there should be unity there. That means not necessarily on that you can have disagreements on how to go about doing something. Now, I don't know about your home, but uh, if I, we have any type of a project, uh, we usually get in a little fuss. I'm thinking we ought to do it this way. She thinks I ought to do it that other way. Can anybody identify with that? And so oh, we... How do you rectify that? Well, it's very easy. I just don't do anything with her. <laughs> hey, you do your own thing, I'll do my own thing. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's not the way to go about it. 
But it says here that we can have disagreements on how to go about doing something, but we must come in a, a, a sense of cooperation on what we're to do and why we're doing it. Okay? It's okay to disagree on methodology. You, you know, we say, well, hey, hey, this is what we think we need to do as a church family. And somebody will say, well, this is how I uh, think we need to go about it. And somebody says, no, 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 this is how you go about it. You're going to have some disagreements. And that's okay with that because we'll eventually get all that worked out. But here's two things that we must agree upon. What are we doing? What are we doing? Church, what are we supposed to do? Well, you say, Brother Mike, I know the answer to that. We are supposed to evangelize the lost. If we can't agree upon that, then we really got some problems. Can we not all come in agreement that we as the body of Christ should be seeking the lost? But not only that, but should it not be that we'll say we need to be edifying the saints? We can all agree upon that. Yes, we need to encourage one another. Yes, we need to build one another up. And, but then we need to say, why are we doing this? That everything that uh, comes across, and uh, understand when you're in leadership, people have all kinds of ideas. I think this is what we ought to do. This is what we ought to do. And that's all well and good. No problem with that. But the question always has to come, why are we doing this? And if it does not contain in some form or fashion the two things that we talked about, maybe we shouldn't be doing it. We should, whatever we're doing... If it's going and uh, uh, doing watermelon uh, uh, over, in, uh, over at Upton or in Inman or we're going over and having a day camps for those uh, boys and girls, we ought to be going with one purpose in mind. Yes, we want to have fun. Yes, we want to have interaction. Yes, we want them to, to get to know us. But our sole purpose is we want to see those boys and girls come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Can we not at least agree upon that? But then, we'll say, well, I think we ought to do this. Now, I, I, sometimes I think I have a pretty good idea. And uh, I've got some things rolling around, but I've always had to ask my question, why are we doing this? And we ought to be able to say in agreement, we're doing this because we believe it is God's will for us to be doing it. See, we shouldn't determine what we do as a church family based on what other churches are doing. Y'all didn't hear that. Are y'all, do you agree with that? We shouldn't look down the road and say, well, I think we ought to be doing that because that church down the road, they're doing that program and doing like that. But God may say, that's not what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. And that's the reason why it's so vitally important for us that before we do anything, we ought to bathe it in prayer. We ought to seek God's will for it. And it could very well be God says, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Don't have nothing against that. But that's not what I want you to do. And so here we must have a unity of mind. We must understand that it's what we're doing and why we're doing it. But we're going to get criticism. There's always going to be criticism. I mean, just mark it down. Now, criticism in and itself is not always bad. 
Sometimes you can have constructive criticism. Okay? Not like the family that just left their church service. They were going to the home and dad's driving the down the road and all of a sudden his wife says, well, I don't know about y'all, but I don't know why Sister Susie got to sing that solo. She was horrible. It sounded like a cat been run over. I said, they, uh, why in the world does she get to sing the solo? Well, that, of course, that got started. You ever notice when someone has something neg- negative, how negativity kind of breeds itself and multiplies? And so, you know, uh, uh, the oldest daughter says, well, since you brought that up, I really didn't care too much uh, for that, uh, the song that the choir sang. I, I thought it was a little too draggy. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know why they can't do something a little more peppy about that. And so she's complaining about that. Well, then grandma's there. And grandma says, well, since y'all uh, brought that up, I, be- I thought everything was way too loud. The choir was way too loud today. And the preacher, oh, he was way too loud. Well, the, uh, the dad was saying, well, since you brought the preacher into this, I just want you to know, I believe that was one of the worst sermons he ever preached. I mean, I don't know why. Uh, he put, apparently, he didn't have enough study time. I'm telling you. And by the way, since I'm on this subject, I'm just kind of getting tired. Uh, it seems like he's always preaching the same thing. And so here they are all criticizing. And there's little Johnny back there. And his little sister. Well, little sister pops up and she says, Well, I just want you to know, I didn't like where we sit. Because that lady that was sitting in front of me, her hat was way too big. I couldn't see what was going on. And I don't like sitting where we sat today. So she's, and little Johnny hadn't said a word. Where everything gets calmed down. He says, well, guys, this is what I have to say about all this. And they were thinking, okay, he's going to throw some more criticism out there. And they said, well, what is it? He says, you know what? I thought it was a pretty good show for the two bucks that we gave for it. (laughs) Criticism. We're going to get it, are we not? But what we need to understand is that even though we may differ on the methodologies, we can all agree on why we're doing and what we're doing. And it all goes to bring glory and honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We can agree upon that. But then he goes on, he talks about in that verse, it talks about compassion. He says that we should have compassion. Now, the word pitiful there, uh, interesting word, it means simple. It means that we should uh, uh, have a a feel for our brothers and sisters. We ought to sympathize with them. Just during our prayer time, it should have caused us to say, well, I really don't have any problems after hearing those that are going through stuff in our prayer time. I'm, I'm telling you, sometimes, and I've been guilty of it, sometimes... 
We can, we can get so uh, inward and we're thinking that we're the only one that's going through some difficulties and our situation's always the worst. And then you start hearing the prayer request that we hear many times over and we're thinking, you know what? I don't have nothing to complain about. Matter of fact, I need to go and, and give them a hug and I need to give them some encouragement because they're going through something a lot more difficult than I am. That's what he's talking about here. We ought to have compassion. And then he goes and he says, courtesy for one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse number 15, it says this, When one rejoices, you should rejoice. When one weeps, you should reap. Uh, that's what we're supposed to do as a body of believers. There's not when somebody's got a praise report like we read from Miss Kim there, where uh, she doesn't have to have no treatments and she was praising God. Hey, that ought to stirred us up and say, "Well, I'm praising with you, sister." I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. But also, we need to understand there's times when we're weeping and we need to weep alongside our brothers and sisters. They need to know. I need to know that somebody really does care about me and that somebody loves me. But most important of all, He loves me and He cares for me. But it's pretty good when we come and come alongside a brother and sister and just throw an arm around them and says, Listen, I want you to know, I'm praying for you, man. I, I, I know you're going through a difficult time. And that's what he says here. That's showing compassion. That's how we show that we love one another. We have a unity of mind and we have compassion uh, for one another. But then he goes on and we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 9, it says, And we should love one another. Now, what we are here sensing is Peter's trying to relate to us is that we need to be tender towards one another. That's what he's talking about. We need to be tender towards one another. It's easy for us to get callous, is it not? Now, understand the context in which the letter is written. Uh, they're under Roman occupation here, the Roman Empire. And uh, they didn't have, uh, they thought uh, it was uh, not good to show compassion for one another. They were very stern. They were very strict. And so here he's telling the church, he's saying, the church, we don't act like that. It's okay to be tenderhearted towards one another. It's okay to show affection for one another because that's what we've been commanded to do, that we should love one another. But the second thing that we see is that we need to love our enemies. Now this is the one that's going to be hard to swallow because we all wrestle with that. Notice there's three ways that you can live your life. First of all, you could repay you could be evil for good. That's what Satan does. Satan looks at no matter what the situation is, he's always going to give evil. We could live like that, could we not? When, when uh, somebody comes and oh, we don't like the way they do or, or they've been cruel to us, what do we want to do? We want to repay them uh, with their evilness with giving them some evil. Do we not? That's the way we want to operate. That's where the flesh wants to rise up. But then we also can operate when uh, something good uh, is done for me, I'm ready to give something good towards them. But if evil has been uh, dealt with me, I'm going to repay it with evil. That's the, that's the way the human natural man acts. But then we can live our life to where when evil has been dealt to us, we repay it with something good. 
That's God-like. May I remind you, we just looked at it last week. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, the Bible reminded us there is that He suffered for us. May I also remind you that when Jesus Christ died in your place, you were an enemy of His. But yet, He still loved you enough to die for you. I know I've said it many times over, but that just kind of blows my mind. That somebody would love me enough that when I was shaking my fist in His face, and when I was rejecting Him, and when I didn't want to have anything to do with Him, I was on His mind. I was an enemy of God. We were all enemies of God. But isn't it good to be a friend of God? And the only reason why we can be a friend of God is because He took our evil and repaid it with good. And so we see He suffered. Now, notice here, the last thing, verses 10 through 12. We need to love life. Now, why do we have to be reminded of that? Because life can get hard. You can have bad days. Matter of fact, if we were honest with one another, we would probably say, you know what? My bad days kind of outweigh my good days. We all have difficulties. We all go through struggles. And it seems like when we get over one, uh, there's another one waiting around the corner for us. C.S. Lewis said it this way. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in times of pleasure, but He speaks to our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. A lot of truth to that, is it not? When everything's going good, do we really listen for God as intently as we do when we're hurting? No. His voice is like a whisper because everything's going good. Then our conscience, he, say, he speaks to us and he says, you know, you know right from wrong and you know you're messing up and all that, but he speaks to us. But when we're going through difficulties in our life, does it not seem like God is saying, I'm still here. I've always been here. I have never left nor forsaken you. He says, well, you think God raises His voice? I don't think God has to raise His voice. What we portray as shouting is, that's when we're really intent on listening when we're hurting. I need some answers, God. I don't understand why I'm going through this. God, you know I've been praying for you, but I really need you to speak to me. And it's those times of pain when it seems like God is shouting at us and reminding us who we are in Him. But then he goes on and as he says uh, that uh, what does all that have to do with it? Uh, he says, well... How do, we, how do you love? How, do you, how are you are we able to love life when life oh, is throwing you curveballs? How do we able to say, I just love life when we're going through difficulties? Well, three things. First of all, you must decide 
that you're going to love life. That's unintentional. You wake up every morning and say, Lord, I don't know what's in store for me, but I want you to know. You gave me another day, and I'm going to take advantage of us. Lord, I don't know who's going to cuss me out at work. I don't know oh, what uh, oh, a call that I may get, but I've, I've decided. I have, I have my, uh, my will. I have will that I'm going to love my life. Oh, I don't like everything that's going on in my life. I don't like the pain that I'm suffering. I, I don't like the heartaches that I'm having to deal with. But Lord, I'm deciding to, right now, this very moment, I'm committing that I'm going to love life. It's an attitude. It's an attitude. And I'm telling you, I know there's days when, you, when we wrestle with that, when we say, you know, I just wish I could just stay in bed. And by the way, we, we have an epidemic of those, that's exactly how they're dealing with the issues that are coming their way. They said, this is it. I'll just go ahead. I'll just stay in bed. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to interact with anybody. I'm just going to go ahead and stay in my little dark room. I'm telling you, it's an epidemic of those folks. Is That's how they're dealing with life. Isn't that sad? It's sad. We're determined. God, you gave me life. God, I know that you know exactly where I'm at. Lord, you've made me to be more than a conqueror. And we can go and we can start recording, uh, uh, memorizing Scripture and we can start praying Scripture and say, Lord, I know uh, it's your grace that's allowed me to be able to do what I can do today. Lord, I know I'm hurting, but I'm at least I can dress myself today. Lord, this is going to be a good day. And you'll say, that sounds like Joel Osteenish. It's not. Because we're not always okay. And sometimes we just have bad days. I don't care what the wealth uh, crowd tells you that, oh, you're a believer, you, you'll never have any more problems. That's heresy. That's heresy. You're going to have bad days. You might not have a bad day. You might have a bad week. You might have a bad... You might say, Brother brother Mike, I've had a bad year. I understand that. I understand that. And, I, and you'll say, it's easy for you to say. But my dear friend, we've got to be careful when it says it's easy for you to say because we have not walked in our brother's or sister's shoes. We don't have a clue to what they've had to go through. But I've determined God is the giver of life. And I'm going to claim what He's promised me. He says, I'm going to be an overcomer. He's told me I'm going to be more victorious. He says that I'll be more than a conqueror. And Lord, I'm standing upon your promise. And I'm going to go ahead and let you know the best I can, I'm going to love life. And I'm going to show everybody around me when I'm hurting, when I'm going through difficulties, I'm going to show them that Jesus Christ can make a difference in how you live. No matter what comes your way, you've got to decide. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse number 17, Solomon came to this conclusion, I hate life. That's what he said. He says, I hate life. All is vanity. You know anybody like that? Every time you call them up, negative. Every time you run into them, you don't dare ask them how things are going because they're going to tell you. 
And if you're not having a bad day, you will have a bad day after the conversation you'll have with them. Because, oh, oh, it's all... What's the use? What's the use? Isn't that sad to live like that? But here we understand that we can love life. But notice, I find this interesting. He says, not only do you have to decide, but he says you also got to control. Now, what do you got to control? Your mouth. Isn't that what it says? The text says you've got to control your tongue. James chapter 3 uh, talks quite a bit about the tongue. Uh, it reminds us of uh, a number of things. Uh, how poisonous the tongue can be and how destructive the tongue can be. And, and so here he says, if you really want to enjoy life... By the way, not everything uh, that's going to ruin your day it comes from an outside force. Sometimes we create our own bad days by how we use our tongue. We, we, we go and we set out that we're going to rip into somebody. Now you're thinking, boy, I feel so much better after I've ripped into somebody. Do you really? Do you understand that that causes just as much damage to you as the one that you ripped into? And so if we're going to enjoy life and if we're going to live it to the fullest, we're going to have to control our tongues. I, I thought about... The tongues, and I just jotted this down here. And uh, it was about uh, uh, Churchill. Now, Churchill always had a little bit of wit about him. And he was talking to a lady that uh, he was not agreeing with, and she was kind of ripping into him. And she, uh, so she finally says, I'll tell you one thing. She said, if you were my husband, I would poison your food. He looked at her and he says, Ma'am, if I was your husband, you're my wife, I would eat the food. <laughs> now, needless to say, they probably never patched up their differences, did they? Why? Because they couldn't control their tongue. They just went in and, and, and ripped into one another. But we also see... Psalm, the psalmist understood that the tongue could be a lethal weapon. In Psalms 141, verse number 3, he says this. He says, Lord, would you set watch over my mouth? In other words, the psalmist is saying, Lord, please help me control my tongue. And then he goes on and says, and keep the door of my lips. I'm telling you that we can enjoy life and others around us can enjoy life if we could just control our tongues. Some of the, uh, the, the things that have gone on even with the body of Christ has been because of the lack of control over tongue. 
Somebody has some negativity, and so we, that we feed off of that, and next thing you know, and, and we don't even check our sources. We just go ahead, and we just repeat what we've heard, and the next thing you know, you got everything stirred up, and everybody's in a tizzy. Nobody wants to come to church. Nobody wants to feel like worshiping because, oh, I'm going to have to hear this. I'm getting so tired of hearing this. And you know what that? I'm telling you, there is a very easy fix to that. If you hear something secondhand, especially in information. Just don't repeat it. But what if it's true? What if it's true? If I want to be all I can be in the Lord Jesus Christ, I need to control my tongue. I don't need to pass on information that I've always tell those that when there's disagreements and whatnot like that, you keep your circle as small as you can get it. Because here's what we normally do. We grow that circle. We include others that don't even have a dog in the fight, but we'll bring them in there because I'm trying to rally my troops because i got to have some backup on this. And what happens is that circle gets out of hand. James 3 says it's like a spark. But if you don't put the spark out, it'll eventually turn into a wildfire. And so here we've got to control our tongue. Now, moving on. Because I just sense that maybe a nerve or two got... In. He says we must hate sin. Notice the word that he uses. In verse number 11, he says, Ask you, that, that word means to avoid. But it's not just to avoid. It means to avoid to the point to where you hate sin. Fast difference here. We have to live our lives in such a way that we'll do everything we can to avoid any appearance of evil. Matter of fact, and I know we teach our children that don't use that word hate. That's such a strong word. But in this case, it's okay to use it. We should hate sin. Not the sinner, but the sin. We should despise it in such a way that I'm going to do everything I can to not even come into its presence. Here's what happens too many times is that we get too close to the edge and it just takes one misstep and we're off. Reminds me of the story very quickly. Is back in the horse and buggy days. This queen, she lived in the palace up on, on this large hill. And so she was looking for a, a carriage driver. So the word gets out, she's looking for a carriage driver. So uh, two guys showed up. And so she says, okay, here's, a, here's your first test. She says, I need you uh, to drive this carriage up this winding mountainous road up into the palace there. The guy says, I got this. And so he's in there and he goes and he takes off like a, uh, a crazy man. And he's getting as close as he can to the edge. He's thinking, boy, this is going to impress her. I got some skills here. So he, he's getting as close as he can. Well, the second one saw how he took the carriage up there, so now it's his turn. She gets in the carriage with him, and he gets as far away from the edge as he could. They get up, 
both of the guys there. Of course, the guy thought, man, my, I, I, man, that guy can't drive, man. You see how close I was that age? And she says, I made my choice. He's like, okay, this is in the bag. She said, it's you. And it's the one that stayed the furthest from the edge. Where the guy says, I don't understand that. I mean, what, what kind of skills was he showing? He was way over the edge. She says, point well taken. Because all it would took is one missed turn and we would have been off to our death. That's how we ought to treat sin. We ought to stay far as far as we can. We ought to avoid it at all costs. Now, closing. We see the last thing that he reminds us of is we want to love life is that we must seek peace. Jesus said this. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should what? Inherit the kingdom as how? As children of God. Folks, we need to understand because we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we ought to be the peacemakers, not the other way around. And sometimes, well-meaning, sometimes we'll say, well, I'll tell you one thing, they ain't going to get away with this. And so we'll be abrasive towards those who maybe believe a little bit different than we do. We'll come in there and they'll say, I don't believe in God. There ain't no such thing as God. And what do we want to do? We want to say, I'll tell you, you, you you're an idiot. What do you mean? And we'll rip right into them. The Bible says we ought to be peacemakers. Now listen, just because we're willing to make peace does not mean that we're giving in. Two different things here. And it's sad to say that many believers have been turned off because of our attitudes towards them where we wanted to fight them when we should be offering peace. Isn't that what Jesus did? Now, did everybody come to Jesus? No. But Jesus did everything He could to make peace. Matter of fact, He is the Prince of Peace. Shouldn't we act in such a way that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if He were here today, I believe He would be sitting out to make peace. Not giving in, but making peace. He says, well, I'll never, I would never get in uh, uh, You know, when the Mormon comes, oh, I can't wait they come. I'm going to rip them good. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? You can argue all you want. Your argument is not going to win them over. But when you're in love and with the right attitude and heart, just let the Word of God speak. There's not power in your argument, but there is power in the Word of God. Say, listen, I just want to show you something very quickly. We was in Florida, had two Mormons come by the house. My first instinct was slam the door, say, don't want to hear it, like many of you have. I thought, no, no, no. I'm... So they came and I said, look, 
I said, I know who you are. I know what you represent. I know uh, some of your, your beliefs. And I'll tell you what. I said, uh, you can come and sit down with me, but however much time you spend with me, you give me equal time. Would that be fair enough? And they said, well, yeah. I said, because I understand Y'all would not go back on your word. You're moral and, uh, you know, you're not going to do anything like that. And so I know that you're men. There's, of course, two men. I said, I know you're men of God. So if you take 20 minutes of my time, you give me 20 minutes. We agree upon that? And they said, yeah. So they went ahead and did their spiel. I said, okay. They were fixing to get up and I said, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) Remember the agreement that we had because you're men of integrity. Remember, you took about 25 minutes. Now it's my turn. And they said, you're right. They sit back down. For 25 minutes, all I did was show them in the Word of God. I didn't argue. I didn't say, you know, do you understand Joseph Smith was a a scam? I mean, I didn't do all that. I just said, here's what the Word of God says. Showed them in the Word of God. They looked at me and said, I said, what do you... They said, well, that's, yes, that's something to think about. I said, it does. And I said, you know, you can come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Would you want to do that? To me? Well, now let's... We'll talk. They're very cordial and like that. They left. I said, let me pray for you. And I prayed. I said, Lord, would you just show them? Just show them, Lord. And off they go. So what, you think that did any good? I'll know when I get up there. Do you see what I'm trying? I'm not trying to say, oh, look how spiritual, look how um, expert. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, I got a lot further in 25 minutes than if I had said, you're a bunch of idiots, believe in that bunch of garbage, and you're going to go to hell. I wouldn't have had an opportunity to show them. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're children of God. So here tonight, very quickly, I know I probably went over, is that who do you love? Tonight we've understood that we're supposed to love one another. Second of all, we're supposed to love our enemies. And third... We're supposed to live and love life to its fullest.